postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. A world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising up white flag and saying, Ah! It's all the secular people's fault and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic campaign. How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism Redesigned. Hey everyone, it is Pastor Marcus here and I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Story Church Podcast. Super stoked to be getting into episode two of Adventism for a Post-Church Generation. If you haven't heard episode one yet, make sure you go back. You got to check it out. It's where I laid a foundation. It's the introduction where I give instructions on how you can get the absolute most out of this podcast series, this Podinar series. A Podinar is basically a seminar, but it's a podcast instead. So if you were to invite me to uh, an event to do a seminar on Adventism in a post-church generation, I would do this. But instead of being in a room with you sitting on nice, cozy round tables, uh, I get to be in my room while you drive or, you know, pretty much do whatever while you listen to this podcast. So welcome back, guys. Super stoked to have you here. In the last episode, I gave an introduction and then I also gave some instructions. And one of the things that I mentioned was do not listen to this podcast series alone. All right. Do not listen to this podcast series alone. And the reason why is because the purpose of this podcast series is to equip you, your local church and your local ministry to effectively communicate Adventism to a post-church generation. And, you know, that's not something that you want to just learn on your own. Bring some others along. And at the end of each episode from here on out, there's also going to be some questions that I want you to explore with the people that you are listening to this with. So if you want to get the absolute most out of this podcast series, definitely listen to it in community with at least one other person. In, in your church. Now I'm going to dive right into it because I want to I want to take the next step on this journey of exploring this theme Adventism for a post church generation. Now a couple of years ago I, I ran into this article that was summarizing a talk given by an official in the Adventist church. And here's the thing I've I've forgotten where the article was it it might have been the Adventist review I don't know. Uh, But the one thing I definitely remember is how irritated I was as I read this article, because in the article, this general conference official was pretty much rebuking the church because of the rising trend to make Adventism appear like other denominations. But here's, here's the reason why those words really, really, really vexed me, at least at that particular point in time, is because I had grown up in a very conservative Adventist church. And growing up in a very conservative Adventist church, I had been exposed to this consciousness, this religious consciousness of uh, of us versus them. And this mentality, um, this mentality was pretty much bred into the religious experience that I was raised with. And the us, you know, us Adventists, us, the people of God, us, the remnant, us, the ones that are blessed by God, us, the ones, the only ones who have the truth. And then there's them. And you got to be careful with them because they have an evil spirit and because their theology is false and wrong and, you know, all these different things. And so I had grown up in this environment quite strongly. And 
In my opinion, at least in my observation, the only thing that this sort of mentality did was breed narcissism, elitism, and fanatical ignorance. And I gotta be honest with you guys, I was tired, I was tired of this ridiculous arrogance that continues to be passed around as, you know, quote unquote, faithfulness or love of the truth. It was not faithfulness. It was not love of the truth. It was love of self. And it was really just, you know, self-promotion and uh, self-adulation. And so, you know, again, what am I referring to? I'm, I'm referring to this idea that Adventism is somehow better than everybody else, than other denominations, that we don't have any need to learn from other Christians because we have all the truth, uh, that we should only ever read Ellen White, um, you know, ignoring the fact that Ellen White read lots of other Christians, um, and, and maybe, you know, read other conservative Adventists as well. Uh, but if it was written by a fellow evangelical, you know, don't touch that stuff. Uh, you know, this rebarbative, essentially, it's a rebarbative sectarian attitude that somehow places everybody else in the category of Babylon and us in the category of remnant. And there's no gray in between. I was so done with this way of approaching faith and spirituality and, and, and Christianity as a whole. I was totally done with it. And so at this point in my life, I had actually benefited quite a lot from discovering how Adventism was like other denominations. It was kind of a breath of fresh air. And I'm going to talk about that more in the next episode where what I want to do is I want to sort of clear the table. Before we arrive at what Adventism is, we're going to have to sort of talk about what it's not. Um, but at this point in my life, just to summarize it, uh, seeing how we were like others was kind of a breath of fresh air, right? And and I also enjoyed reading books written by fellow Christians. I, I loved reading Francis Chan, and, and I loved reading some of the Protestant reformers, John Wesley and, you know, uh, Charles Spurgeon and, and you know, and, and other guys like A.W. Tozer, you know, it's an absolutely amazing author. And uh, and Kyle Eidelman, you know, was a, was a really big, um, uh, really big favorite of mine uh, that I read a lot at the time. Just, you know, lots of different voices from different denominations that I really admired. And I learned a lot from them. And I came to appreciate and highly value their faith journey and their faith heritage. And I even attended some of their churches and I was amazed at how simple and contagious their love for Jesus was, which was something that I often found absent in local Adventist churches. Local Adventist churches tended to be driven by a very complex and top-heavy and, you know, just kind of really messy web of behavioral expectations and just all this craziness that was just exhausting. And I'd go to some of the evangelical churches and it was just like this simple love for Jesus that was driving people and it was just absolutely, absolutely refreshing. And so I was motivated by their passion. I was motivated by their excellence. But most of all, I had actually discovered at this point in my life that my faith wasn't rooted on a soil that was altogether different from theirs, right? To a large degree, my faith heritage was kind of sprouting out of the same soil as theirs. And that I really wasn't that different from them, either practically or historically or theologically. And we were all Protestants. We all believed and loved the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther was as much their hero as he was mine. The dangers of legalism that had enveloped the mutable church uh, was just as repulsive to them as it was to me. And from John Calvin down to John Wesley, there was this continuum of truth that we all shared. And, and I learned that Adventism 
was part of that continuum that that we weren't born in a vacuum but that we instead derived our identity you know from the same pool as these other denominations glean theirs and so through the journey of exploring the faith of my fellow jesus followers from from different faith tribes i actually came to appreciate adventism more and i guess for the first time in my life i felt like i had discovered an adventism divorced of this sectarian ideology and this self adulating platitudes and this propaganda that had driven or, or conceptualized so much of the Adventism that I had growing up. And perhaps the best part of it is that I felt that I had finally discovered an Adventism that had a beauty that was securely planted in the person of Jesus and that it didn't need to put another denomination down in order to make up for its own deficiency. It was beautiful on its own. Now, maybe now you can get a glimpse as to why I found the General Conference official statement in this, um, in this article complaining about how, you know, we must, you know, avoid this trend of making Adventism like other denominations. Now you can probably understand why I found it so irritating. Because I had been raised in a church that was really, really focused on making sure that Adventism was different. But the way in which that different manifested was not healthy. It was toxic. It was, it was damaging. And I had come to the place, and this is something that I share even today, that I don't need a PhD in theology. I don't even need a bachelor's in theology in order to know nonsense when I hear it. I don't need a 400-page paper rebutting you know, what some other guy said in order to know nonsense when I hear it. When something is toxic, when something is unhealthy, when something is repulsive, that's immediate red flags, right? I don't, I don't need a list of Bible verses to show me that this sectarian ideology that undergirds much of conservative Adventism is flawed, deeply, deeply flawed. All I need to know is that that's not what God is like. And so long as I know the heart of God, I know when something, some truth claim contradicts the heart of God, when it contradicts the character of Jesus, I know something's off. And so by this point in my life, I had been exposed to this really negative version of Adventism. And I had finally found, not myself leaving the church, but I had finally found myself being solidified in the church through a new vision of Adventism, a vision of Adventism that was divorced of all of that negative baggage. And that meant a lot to me because a lot of this negative baggage had been instrumental in almost driving me out of the church. I mean, Adventism had pretty much almost lost me. And it happened, you know, there's different stages and different, you know, scenarios in my life, but it pretty much all coalesced when in, in my early 20s, I was introduced to last generation theology, which many of you listening will be familiar with. I've done some episodes in the past with Mike Sipermanea on that. I've written some articles and, you know, different things about that. But, you know, this concept of last generation theology, I, I didn't even know how to filter it because the way that I was raised kind of really set me up to embrace this stuff. And it wasn't until years later where I, when I found myself, you know, having to go on medication and having to see a therapist and having to work through the emotional and psychological damage that last generation theology had contributed to in my own life and in my own journey that I realized like something really, something's really flawed here, right? Something's really off. And so 
If anyone could have left Adventism and written a book about how what a terrible church it is, it definitely could have been me. I mean, I was like definitely at a point in my life, uh, especially during this period of time, where I even became passively suicidal. Now, what do I mean by passively suicidal? A person who is actively suicidal is a person who has made a plan, right? They've made a plan on how they're going to take their life. A person who is passively suicidal, at least in the way that I understand it, right? I'm not a therapist, but at least as in the way that I understand it is a person who's passively suicidal is a person who doesn't have a plan on how they're going to take their life, but they long for their life to end. They kind of fantasize about it. I would wake up in the morning and think, man, I like, I actually hope a truck hits me today. You know, like I don't want to live anymore. I would never actually have taken my own life, but I was in such a dark place that I was, I would wake up in the morning and wish that that was the last day, right? It's passively suicidal. And, and pretty much, man, like I, I can't put the full blame on the things that I had learned because there was chaos in my life as well. But that chaos, I, I was not, I did not have anything peaceful to navigate that chaos. All I had was this sectarian, legalistic, fundamentalist, perfectionistic theology. And when I encountered the chaos in my life, that theology was unable to carry me through that chaos with any level of peace or serenity or order. To the contrary, it just created more chaos. It just overcomplicated what was already complicated. And so when I finally began to make sense of these things and discover Jesus and discover the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of grace and the beauty of the gospel and discover, rediscover Adventism anew through this lens of Jesus and, and, and see the ways in which our heritage was actually built on the beauty of what had come before through the Protestant Reformation. Um, you know, when I finally arrived at this place, it was, it was deeply satisfying and, and deeply liberating. And so when I read this article where this guy is like, we need to stop this trend, it just brought up all of that baggage, right? It brought up all of those wounds and all of those scars. And so again, maybe now you can better understand why I found it a little bit annoying or very annoying when I read that statement. Now, thinking back, looking back, I can honestly say I didn't really know in context what the official of the General Conference who was being quoted in this article was fully trying to communicate um, because it was just a quotation from a sermon that he had preached. Uh, but that was how I interpreted it based on my own emotionally unstable experience with the church. Because at that time, I, I really wanted Adventism to be the same as others. I hated the way in which we, with our like this misguided zeal, had taken such a beautiful message that I had found and managed to morph it into such a repulsive narrative that the rest of the Christian world actually was like, hey, uh, we think you guys are a cult, you know? And so for me, what this guy said in this article was really a reminder or a representation of everything that I saw as wrong or detrimental to our mission and identity. But the story doesn't end there. And remember, like, why am I telling you guys this story? I'm telling you guys this story because this entire Padanar series that we're exploring now is Adventism for a post-church generation. We want to take Adventism and we want to, we want to reframe it so that it has meaning to emerging secular culture. Uh, but the problem is this, if before we reframe Adventism for the culture, we have to clean it up. 
we have to get rid of the things in that Adventism that are not really a part of Adventism, the toxic bits, the unhealthy bits, the, 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 the damaging bits. We've got to get that stuff out of the way. And then once that stuff is out of the way, then we can take this naked, organic, raw Adventism in all of its beauty, without all the crazy add-ons that we've dumped onto it. We take this raw Adventism and that is what we reframe, okay? So we don't reframe Adventism by reframing all of the toxic bits and just like, you know, using cleverly worded language to make it sound a little bit better and more palatable. No, this isn't a gimmick. This isn't a worm on a hook. What we're essentially doing is saying, what exactly is Adventism? What story are we telling? And then we take that story and its raw beauty without the nonsense that we've tacked onto it. And that's what we reframe for the culture. So that's why we're exploring this in, in these first few episodes, really sort of clearing the table to try and identify what are we really talking about here and how do we make this message now meaningful for the culture. Now, going back to where I am today, because that's where we're going to get to in a few episodes, but going back to where I am today, the story didn't end at this place in which I had found this Adventism that I was in love with and then I read this article and got annoyed, right? Like the story obviously continues. And so when I turned 29 years old, I became a local Adventist pastor here in Perth, Western Australia, where I still live and where I still serve. And uh, Terry Johnson was the president of the Western Australia Conference at the time. And Terry, if you're listening to this, thank you for taking a chance with the crazy American guy. I appreciate it, man. Um, it looks like it worked out okay. <laughs> so um, thank you. But that was when my ministry began, like really officially began. And I was stoked, man. I felt that God had led me to ministry. And, you know, at 17, I felt the call to ministry. And it was 12 years later, you know, <laughs> and it was finally official. And, and I was pumped, you guys. I was ready to change the world. But then I hit a wall. Because everywhere I went and looked, Adventist churches were either dead or dying. And I found that a successful local Adventist church was about as mythical as a unicorn, right? It wasn't, I wasn't like totally surprised because... I'd grown up in the church and I'd seen this craziness all my life, but now I was a leader. And so it hit me even harder. I wanted to change the world. I wanted to do something meaningful. And I believed that the local Adventist church was the forefront of that something meaningful. And I still believe that, by the way. But the church that I was exposed to, the church that I was seeing, and it wasn't a particular church that I served at. It was just in general. The church that I was con contending with and confronting and experiencing and encountering just kind of felt like it was taking up space and talent that could be better used elsewhere. There wasn't much going on that was meaningful or, or that had any sort of existential utility or even spiritual value. It was just kind of this club that would get together on Sabbath mornings and do its rounds and then that was it. But I didn't give up. I decided, you know what, I'm going to figure this thing out. So I read the best books. I took the neatest methods that I could find and strategies and I put them to practice. And in my mind, so long as we restructured and refocused a few things, the churches would evolve and change. But guess what, you guys? It didn't work. At this point, maybe I should have given up, but you know, I'm weird. So I just kept digging because I believe that there had to be a core, right? There had to be an epicenter to this Deadwood experience in the local Adventist church. And I wanted to know what it was. And so one of the methods that I learned from many of the books, one of the many books that I had read, 
was asking people why their church existed. So I would visit and I would visit people like all kinds of people, you know, why does your church exist? And what I found time and time again was that even though people had all different kinds of ideas and they came from all different kinds of backgrounds, there was a common pattern. Whenever I asked that question, the pattern was this, not a single person ever gave me an answer that was even remotely inspiring. The pieces of the puzzle started to come together, right? It's, it, 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 if no one had anything inspiring to say, at least this is how it made sense in my head at the time, if no one had anything inspiring to say about their purpose as an Adventist church, then what I was dealing with was groups of people who were uninspired and consequently uninspiring. And so what happens when you give an uninspired group of people a bunch of strategies and methods? Well, you end up with a really well-organized, uninspired bunch of people. And that's if they even plug in to your strategies and methods, which many of them don't. And so what I started to realize was that if I was ever going to reframe or redesign my church's permission, it was going to take something more than some slick method or pathway to, to ministry or discipleship. If I was ever going to redesign my local churches, I needed to go back to our story, especially our story as rooted in Jesus. We all did. We needed to fall in love again with why we exist as a faith tribe, as a community on this earth. And so while the strategies and plans could serve as an engine to the church, what the church was missing was the fuel, the fuel of its identity, the fuel of Jesus, the fuel of its mission. We were in desperate need of a refill. And so that realization then brought me full circle back to this question about Adventism's identity, you know, the, the question that I found really annoying. And despite how annoyed I was at people who harped on about the uniqueness of Adventism, I finally started to realize that maybe underneath all of that sectarian nonsense, if we just peeled back the layers of that garbage, that we would still find in the core something beautiful and meaningful that was worth contending with, that was worth encountering. And I wanted to figure that out. So I, you know, began this journey of encounter. I wanted to know what makes Adventism relevant, right? So like if you got a bookcase and on that bookcase, every single book on the bookcase is a different religious narrative. And, you know, you got Islam there, you got Buddhism there, you got, you know, you got Christianity there. And then under Christianity, you got all the Protestant denominations, you got Pentecostals and Wesleyans and Episcopalians and Congregationalists. And there you have a book called Adventist. If you pulled that book out of the bookshelf, the book titled Adventist, and you read it, would it say anything that no other book was saying? Now, if the answer is no, there's nothing in this book that's any different from anything any other book is saying, then the natural and logical question is, then why is the book there? Because if it's not saying anything unique, if it's not saying anything special, if it doesn't have something to add to the market of ideas, then the book is just white noise in an already oversaturated and confusing market of spiritual search. But if the book does have something unique to say, if it does have something to say that nobody else is saying, then what is it? And what makes it worth saying? Now, in the episodes that follow, guys, that's what I want to explore. I want to I share with you guys my journey and offer how the discoveries I made energized my ministry in ways that methods and plans never could. And that through this adventure, I encountered the beauty of Adventism in a way that Sabbath school, Pathfinders, and even Adventist University never gave me. Through this adventure, I came to the unavoidable conclusion 
that there is just something eccentric about what we have to say, that we have a perspective, a narrative to offer the market of ideas, something odd, something weird in a good sense that nobody else is saying, a Jesus to declare that few have ever heard of. And you know what? It might not be the most politically correct thing to say, but it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. But before I get to that, I wanted to introduce you guys to my journey, introduce the idea uh, that led me into this exploration that I'm going to explore in the next few episodes. Because in the very next episode, I'm actually not going to share with you guys what makes Adventism eccentric. In fact, I'm going to spend the entire episode talking about the stuff that we think is a part of us and we think is important to our identity that really has nothing to do with who we are. Because once again, if we are going to communicate Adventism to a post-church culture, we must reframe it. But we cannot reframe it if the thing that we're reframing is this potluck of rotten food mixed in with yummy food, right? You got to get rid of the rotten stuff. You got to move that out of the way. You got to put that in the bin. And then you can enjoy the meal the way it's intended to be enjoyed. Now, here's what I want you to do. Again, I want you to get the most out of this podcast series, all right? So don't just listen to these episodes and take in information. You're, you gotta listen to this series with someone. And if you have a chance and, and, you're, and you'd like to, uh, you can also go to thestorychurchproject.com slash store and you can buy yourself the book Weirdvolution, Adventism for a Post-Church Generation. You can get it in print on Amazon or you can get the ebook from my website. And the book covers a lot of the same content that we're going to be covering in this podcast series. And you can sit down and read it with people in your local church if podcast listening is not their thing. But the bottom line is you got to discuss these things because if you don't discuss them, you're not going to really find the meaningful way that you can apply it and transform your local church and your ministry. So I want to ask you a few questions that I want you to explore with the person that you're listening to, your fellow traveler. I want you to explore this with them and you know, do it this week before the new episode comes out next week where we dig a little bit deeper. So here are the questions, guys. Just a few really simple questions. Number one, what has your experience with Adventism been? Has it been positive? Has it been negative? Has it been something else? Talk about it with your friend. Number two, where are you right now in your relationship with Adventism? Are you frustrated and ready to leave? Are you committed to staying uh, but not sure how to make a difference? Where are you in that spectrum? Number three, how do you feel about the idea that Adventism has something eccentric to say? Do you find that idea offensive, uncomfortable? Uh, do you prefer the notion that we're absolutely not different to anyone? Or are you okay with the possibility that maybe we have something to say that is unique and beautiful and relevant? And finally, do you think that knowing that unique, beautiful, eccentric aspect of who we are is important in reframing Adventism for post-church culture? Let me ask that question again. Do you think that knowing what it is that makes Adventism unique, do you think knowing that thing right there, whatever it might be, is important or necessary for effectively reframing Adventism for post-church mission? So, hey, sit down with your friends, uh, work through those questions, chat about it, um, have a good time, take your time with it. Next week, I'm going to go into the next episode where we're going to dig deep 
and we're going to have a lot of fun. Until then, guys, may God continue to bless you as you seek to redesign Adventism for mission. Mm-hmm.